You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. We have a all-new co-spanning mega episode for your listening pleasure. First up is our friend Jess Adamic, whose new book, Salad Freak, is out everywhere cookbooks are available. She talks about the recipes, the stories, the photography, and the inspiration in one of our favorite new books of the season. It's a great conversation. And it's a great book. It definitely will inspire you in the kitchen. And then we head over to the Rockaways in Brooklyn to chat with Sky Creature all about their huge tour, recording with Steve Albini, and what they listen to and eat while on the road. They also share some live performance with us and some never-before-heard song. It's great. Enjoy. Have a great Sunday or whenever you're listening to Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
Jess, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time to join Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, look, congratulations on your first book. I feel like people always want to bury the lead, but it's a beautiful book. It is delicious. I earmarked it. Um, I don't remember the exact name of it, but there is a toasted sesame spinach salad with some mirin that mm-hmm. is about to probably be my side for the winter. So thank you for that. Um, how do you feel? It's out in the world. People are making it. I see people posting on Instagram. Like, how do you feel about birthing your first book? You know, I mean, the the best part is definitely every day, like checking my Instagram inbox yeah. and seeing it flooded with people making the recipes. Um, and they look really good. Like, they look beautiful. <laughs> and um, uh, you wouldn't post the ones that don't look that beautiful. You're like, oh. No, maybe? I do. I post all I'm of them kidding. because I'm, I'm like – I'm, you know, nothing when I, when I question what it's all for, I, I have to look at that and remember that people, I, you know, I'm able to reach a much larger audience of people and they're making food and they're making it for themselves and people they love and they're enjoying it. And they're like proud of themselves for making something that's beautiful, that tastes good, that's healthy. And that's like, you know, it's really, really amazing because I wish I could cook for everybody, but I can't. So it's the next best thing to have people doing it at home. I mean, look, salad is like one of those things where I feel like I make the same salad over and over again. So just having a book of inspiration of being like, oh, like I actually, this is great because, you know, staring at a something healthy or wanting something that's maybe not just like a slab of meat in the middle. I'm like, great. I have ideas or jumping off points. So giving people that uh, starting basis should be a pretty good feeling. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was like very uh, generous in like what I classified as a salad. Yes. And there's I, some I, stuff I, in there that I was like, <laughs> sheet pan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think, I think expanding that definition and just kind of opening people's mind to mm-hmm. like, I've had so many people say like, oh, I, I'm not a salad person or like, I hate salad, but I'm making things out of this book. And it's like, yeah, because salad doesn't always mean like a huge like bowl of kale with, you know, a lemon dressing. Like there's yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. so many other things. If you don't like leafy greens, like there are so many other great vegetables to try. Um, yeah. And I think that that getting opening up people's minds to eating a little healthier is something that's always been like really important to me. Um, and, you know, I think I can. It's disgust. Like not everything in the book is healthy. Um, no, it's not. But- <laughs> I was like, I was like, that would not be uh, a healthy salad day for 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 me. No, like I mean, there's like you know a, a fried chicken salad. Oh, with- oh, I'm not mad at it. I'm yeah. just, I'm just saying, like this is great because like maybe I don't want to have a heavy bread sandwich, but I still want something decadent for lunch. Yeah, and that's how I eat. Like. I, a lot of the salads mm-hmm. actually are just like deconstructed sandwiches. Yeah. Um, and that's, to me, it's like a win because you're getting more greens or like whatever else is in there instead of a ton of bread. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like not always about like, it's definitely not diet food, no. but it's like kind of just the um, playing around with the amounts or in the proportions. So there's always more vegetables than anything else or fruits. There are a lot of fruit salads too. I love that. Um, I thought in addition to the, the ideas and inspirations, the stories 
in the book were really, really great. Um, and I think there was something about each salad capturing like a feeling or a moment. It was very transportive. And it made me think that like salad actually is one of the few dishes that could actually do that as like a whole genre of a meal where I'm like, oh, these, these actually like take me to a place and a time or like uh, I was in Nantucket or it was the summer or it was like the winter. It, you know, is do you feel that like salads alone hold that power more than any other type of dish? Uh, to me, um, I, I really think it's all food. Mm. Um, and I really – it was really important to me to, you know – every recipe has to come with a head note. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's like little gem lettuce is great because it's crunchy and it's <laughs> something like very like, yes. Yes. matter Thank of you. fact. But to me, like uh, the inspiration is, is sometimes much more interesting than actually what you're eating. Um, and I love, I, it was fun for me to remember what, inspired me or yeah. to go back to a certain dinner I had, or, um, you know, I had just moved to LA. So there was definitely some like nostalgia about mm. New York. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that, yeah, I love that. I think, you know, I had a little pushback at first because it was, a I used a very familiar tone in the book. And I mentioned like Absolutely a lot of my, <laughs> I mentioned like a lot of my friends with no explanation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, but I wanted the book to be personal and I wanted, you know, if somebody liked it, they'll keep looking for more from me. If they hated it, they can go to someone else for, the, for their salads. But well, what are you um, going to do is you're going to say like, oh, you know, like the bitterness of the radicchio or something like that. Like I liked it when you just made references to like, oh, it was my painter friend and it was a hazy afternoon after a long day of of hanging out. We made this dish and I was like, yeah, I too have been there. And like yeah. this dish does sound like what I would want after a, a long day of hanging out on a hot summer day in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and that made, it really did make it more fun for me. You know, um, mm. there were a couple times where I was like, oh, I just need a head note for this, <laughs> for this salad. Like, yeah, what yeah, am yeah. I going to do? Um, but yeah, you know, it was. It, I wished I actually uh, ran out of pages. I had a lot mm. more like random essays in there, and they had to go so I could have photos for every recipe. Um, but I hope with this next one, um, I have a little more room to play. To play. Well, I want to talk about the photos a little bit because they're 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 beautiful, and and I know that you have a background in styling and, and food producing and things like that. But they also felt really real. There was like always like a little bit of of crumb or mess, like in a great way that remind me more of how my kitchen looks or like mm -hmm. when I'm eating. Um, which a lot of times when you get into like these salad books or stuff that's like much more composed, you can be like, my it's never going to look that perfect. But you brought this realness to it. How did you approach it? Did you have to convince the publisher that it was going to have like these real real lived in edges on the on the side of the photos? It's funny because, uh, you know, when I first went into it, my very first thought was like, each one of these salads has so much going on that there can't be anything else happening. Mm. Like it, I have to stick with like, there can't be like a million beautiful little bowls around. Like sure, it has sure. to just like the focus needs to be the food because there's so many shapes and colors and little elements. So I knew I wanted like close up, 
straightforward, mm. clean, but edible. Like mm-hmm. I have been a food stylist for like 10 years. I've worked sure. with, I assisted so many stylists who all have their different spin on things. And sometimes it's so perfect and precious that you don't think you can break in there with a fork, you know, or somebody right. at home, somebody at home knows like, I can't make it look like that. I don't and have I ring as, molds. Yeah. I mean, I, as a stylist them. know, like, there's no way somebody could replicate this because I'm doing all of these crazy things to make it look like that. Right, 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 right. And I think, you know, um, I had the very first shoot that I ever was like the lead stylist on um, at Martha Stewart was with the photographer, Jonathan Lovekin, who shot all the Otolenghi books and Nigel Slater's books. And he is absolutely incredible. He shoots a lot of things handheld, which is like completely uh, unheard of in food, like the world of overhead photography uh, yeah, 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 yeah. now. Yep, 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 yep. And I remember I was so nervous. And like there was another stylist there, like, you know, making sure I like didn't mess up because it was like <laughs> my first big thing for the magazine. And I remember I was like really nervous. And it was this like salmon with a, with a, pea shoot salad on the side and I like Mm. got when I put it down and went to like go back into it to like fuss around and Jonathan was like just get away from it he's like it's never gonna look any better than whatever you throw down the first time the more Hmm. you move it like the less real it's gonna be like let's just start here and see what happens wow and I've always remembered that because it's absolutely true. The more you like get your tweezers out and start yeah. like fussing a bit around, it doesn't have the movement of creation in it. Like when I'm in the kitchen, I'm so chaotic and I make such a mess. Yep. No, yep. no one can believe I worked for Martha because it's like insane. But that's when I am creating. I'm doing the thing that I love. I'm making something. I'm not thinking about, uh, you know, picking up after myself or getting it neat and organized. So I, I wanted that even though the, you know, it was like Martha in the front, me in the back, like clean. If you look at it at first, it's super clean and, and highly stylized, but like also then you see these little scattered things or, you know, there's a little smear of like dressing on the side because that's what happened when I put it down. I, which I love. And when you go, when you were going to um, compose or make the photos, and you put the food out, were you thinking about this is how I would put it down and serve it to someone, and then you would shoot it? Like, how did you actually put that first moment down? It's funny because I've actually been hired several times for shoots where I like make a fake party. Where like the whole point of me being there is to like make it look like a meal has just started to be in progress, even though no one's there. And it is, it's a, like, it's like, you know, you're really just like shooting on a little surface on top of a a couple Apple boxes, like with like, you know, you're probably like squatting down or like have all these people around you and it doesn't feel like you're eating a meal at all. But yeah, I, I wanted it to feel like you're, you're sitting somewhere. I didn't want the backgrounds to, to necessarily be all of these like, you know, where am I? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I also shot the book in the middle of like peak quarantine mm. in LA. And I had dreams of like going to all these different locations sure. and like, you know, having a lot of people eating uh, yeah, and yeah, having, yeah. having the human element of hands getting in there and doing, you know, whatever. But like, it just wasn't possible. Um, it still feels could, very lived in though. Like it feels, yeah. it, it despite despite not having those extra hands or moments. Like I was like, oh, people are eating this. Like yeah. people are people are five seconds away. They're waiting for whoever's taking the photograph to say, "Are you done?" So I yeah. can reach a hand in and pull out a topping or or reach in with a fork or something like that. Yeah, everything was edible, which was really nice. And everybody who – it was a very small team. Um, my friend Brett helped me style and Linda Puglese, who's an incredible photographer, shot the book. But at the end of every day, like, they took stuff home and they were happy to eat it. And Ben, my partner, was, like, definitely excited to eat everything again, even though he was my sole taste tester uh, <laughs> while I was developing. And that felt really good, too, because, you know, I, as a food editor, I had so many experiences where, like, I was working on a dessert story. And, like, the first pass, you're, like, so excited to taste a cookie. But by, like, the 10th time, you've are feel like vile. Like you like yeah. are like angry and like, like, it's enough sea have, salt. I don't care. Like crash. Yeah. yeah. So it was nice. You know, I felt pretty lucky that it was, it was food that I really loved and um, we felt good eating it. I mean, it was a, it's a really nice variety with the seasons and the different ingredients. It didn't feel like, Oh, here's another fennel salad or like t- roasted tomatoes. Once again, I think by the seasonality of it allows you to, at some point just put some ingredients away because you're yeah. like, they're just not, they're just not here for the fall. Yeah. And I think I really, um, I simplified it a lot mm-hmm. because I, I came up with the, you know, proposal and everything during COVID and I was in upstate New York at the time and it was pretty hard to get ingredients. And I think for the first time, uh, I was, you know, I didn't have the Park Slope Food Co-op and the Union mm. Square Green Market right there. And I, you know, it was like a price chopper and I could go there and I could get your basics, but it wasn't, you know, I, I wanted to be able to make things wherever I, you know, people are all over the place and access to ingredients yeah. is different everywhere. And it was important to me that they were simple enough that they could be, you know, ingredients that were found uh, everywhere. There were definitely a few indulgences. There's, you know, pea tendrils and sure. a couple of other things, but I really tried to offer alternatives and, um, you know, appreciating, even if it's like uh, from, if it's like non-organic lettuce that came in a plastic thing at a store, you know, grocery store. Fine. It, it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. It happens. And you can still appreciate that ingredient for what it is without like burying it in like a thousand other things. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we're lucky where we live. And if you, all you got to do is hop on the, the 10 to get to literally the world's best market <laughs> every Wednesday and Saturday. But um, that doesn't mean that you can't cook and explore if you don't. 
Um, I found, yeah. I mean, I, I think the truth is I found myself becoming annoyed with cookbooks I was opening and, and, you know, I also, I grew up, um, on shelter Island, um, off of long Island. And I know that, um, once I got, uh, once I got started cooking professionally and I was making recipes and I'd send them to my parents, they'd be like, what's that? Like they don't have that at the IGA. Like where are we going to go and get it? Yeah. And, and that's, that's, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Cause like you don't want to make someone feel that they can't recreate what they bought in a book that they wanted to, to, to cook out of. It's true. I wanted the book to both feel um, like aspirational, but accessible. Like, and that's the biggest reason why I wanted to give styling tips also. I love that. I love because, the tips. Yeah. You know, they're just by doing a couple little things, like you can make your, you can make something that you feel proud of, something that you want to post on Instagram. And now, I mean, that's half of the reason why people make food or go out to eat yeah. or whatever. No, so I know. it's important. And, um, you know, while I didn't want to give away all of my hard earned secrets, there are some things that just like make it look a lot more appetizing. And if, and it does feel better to eat something that looks good. Yeah. It sounds tricky. Cause it is about the balance and about, you know, you're like, sometimes it all tastes right, but it doesn't, it doesn't, look proportionately right. I know that I struggle with salad sometimes. I'm like, how do I get everything evenly mixed? And I'm like, how do I make it so all like all the topics don't end up at the bottom or when to dress my salad? And so the tips in there are are appreciated. It's funny because it's, you know, with salads on the surface level, they can seem so simple, but really every single component matters so much and, and not just the ingredient themselves, but how they're prepared you know, the shape you're cutting something in, the thickness, um, yeah, how it's dressed. Um, it's, it's all, um, it's really subtle things that make a really big difference. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick musical break and then we come back. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Martha writing your forward and being a mentor to you. And then also the music that you play uh, for your play, um, for your, parties because i know that was a big part of your book setting a vibe and things like that we have a song from the archives here on snacky tunes on heritage radio network
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Jess Damick talking about her cookbook, Salad Freak, which is out now. Go get it. Support your local stores, like now serving where it was number one. I noticed. I saw. Yeah. Shout out I to Kenny Michelle. Finally got there. Yeah. They're the finally. Um, I don't think that our book ever cracked the top 500. So it was nice to see a friend's name somewhere at the top of the list, but whatever. Um, that's my own personal cross to bear. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about the opening and your mentor, Martha Stewart, because for anyone who's ever worked with her, it is, or been in her presence, it is just like an incredible aura of just like what she gives off, but also in working with her or working for her, like how kind and giving and how much she shares of her knowledge. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, there's truly no one like her. No. She's her own entity on this earth. Like, uh, you know, I am constantly in awe of her still after all these years. Yeah. Um, and I really, there's truly no uh, better person on earth that I could have learned from. Um, she is, you know, not, she, she knows how to do every, everything, everything there is. She knows how to do it. It's crazy. Which is Um, so that when you work for her, you're like, you just have so much to do. You can't do this, but if you had to do it, you could. And she somehow, even when you're like, she couldn't possibly see me trying to like take the shortcut. She, wherever she is, will somehow sense that you're like not doing it the right way. And she will be like, why are you doing it like that? Is this um, how we wanted to cut the carrots today? Is that Yeah. What, no, there's that- no, there's no <laughs> shortcuts, which I think was a really great way to learn, especially now. Um, you know, things have changed so much with food mm-hmm. styling and food media and I really am so happy that I, I learned how to do everything this sort of old school, you know, no nonsense way. Um, and I think the, you know, the other really, like Martha taught me that you have to work really hard. Um, I There's interned, no way around it. There's no, no I, way. I interned for a really long time and I traveled around the country with Martha on this like live food and wine tour and had to like bring a bunch of pressure cookers into the Chicago bears stadium and make like, you know, like just really crazy things. Um, it wasn't exactly suffering, but it's like definitely built character, um, and made me, you know, it made me keep working. I, I think she also, um, you know, she was, before I got the book deal, she's always pushed me and always encouraged me, but it wasn't until it was like the a hundred percent final. And I asked her if she would write the forward. Then she gave me that extra sort of helping hand. Like she wanted to make sure I could do it myself. And I really um, appreciate that as well. Well, and I think, you know, how many people have passed through some sort of Martha, production whether it's the tv show or magazine so to get that extra special touch you gotta feel at some level like it's so genuine because i'm sure she gets hit up all the time for stuff it's funny because um you know she's a very busy woman and to and to get her to sit down and write something um it 
it took a, a lot of remind. I had to keep texting her and bugging her, and that's the um, work, though. It was like the night before Thanksgiving. Sure. And I was in Puerto Rico where my uh, partner was shooting a TV show. And I called her and she was making all of her Thanksgiving pies. <laughs> and um, she, I was like, oh, hi, it's Jesse. And she's like, which Jesse is this? And I was wow. like, Jesse, who's at, at, I'm going to ask you about the forward again. She's like, all right. That Jesse. <laughs> that Jesse. Um, Did you want she, me to stop cooking Thanksgiving with my family to yeah. do this thing for you? Like, is this what this call is? Okay. You know, she and she asked. <laughs> she told me a little bit about her time in Puerto Rico. She told me about the Benedict Cumberbatch show about cats that she was watching, and I was like, <laughs> we had a really lovely conversation. And I was like, I need, I need the forward. Like, they're gonna send the book out for printing. Yeah. And she's like, I know what I'm going to write and I will do it. And truly the last possible day that it could have come in, it came in. And I sat and her um, amazing assistant, Dorian, texted me and gave me the heads up. And she's like, it's coming. And it's the best. I think it's the best forward she's ever written. Mm. And I read it and I was so, I feel like the whole, like, uh, reality of everything that I had been doing for the past 10 years, like really hit me. And I couldn't like, I couldn't do anything. I sort of just sat and stared at my computer screen for a while. And I like, didn't read it to anybody. I didn't do anything. I was like pacing <laughs> around. And I think I wrote her back like three hours later. And, you know, uh, it took me a really long time to figure out what to even say to her mm -hmm. because it was beyond thank you. It was, you know, when I was like, uh, like in middle school, my, and my mom was at work, my dad would let me like throw little dinner parties, mm. um, and invite my friends over. And I always just wanted to be Martha Stewart. I wow. took over all of my family's holiday meals and like was having tantrums when they like didn't have the right like matching platters or of like the proper serving utensils and to I in my wildest dreams I could have never imagined that one day like Martha would be writing the foreword to my book um it felt like a I think I I never give myself credit enough credit for any of my accomplishments. And this was finally like, Oh wow, this is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It, it was really nice to feel that and sit in that. And I think that that's what hit me more than anything else with the book, like coming it out, co having it come out, seeing it on shelves, seeing all the press, mm -hmm. all of that was really exciting. But like knowing that Martha took, you know, made a, the, get that contribution to the yeah. book was, was so big. Yeah. Cause she, she took the time and the effort to say like this person did it and I'm recognizing the work that she did and what she put together. And, yeah. And, and it, you know, yeah. 10, 10 years of work was totally validated. Um, sure. In, in, in a field where validation do not get into this field if you're looking for validation. No, and and all it, 
to get validation from Martha, I mean, it's pretty like, you know, I well also the fact that she was your childhood hero, like what sort of kismet is that? You know, like what sort of amazing, uh, just like you start thinking about your life. You're like, okay, I went from here and I got here and then I got there. And then it all led to this. In many ways, it sounds like it led to that singular moment where that Ford came in and you're like, oh, it sort of led to this, this piece of it. Well, it's really funny because when I, I was like studying for my MCATs when I decided I wanted to go to culinary school. And since I was like a very little kid, my mom was an emergency room nurse and she was like, you'll, you'll be a doctor because you'll always have health insurance and a great job. And like, (laughs) you know, I was like, I had like my little doctor's kit and my like skeleton set that I put together. And so that's what I went to school for. And, um, I was working in an orthopedic uh, hospital in New York and I just kind of had this moment where I was like, oh, wow, I really don't want to be in a hospital for the rest of my life. Mm-mm. And it wasn't about, you know, I still wanted to help people in some way, but I just couldn't imagine, you know, my mom was a nurse for 35 years and went to the same place five days a week for 35 years. And sure. the thought of that was unbearable. So I said, I'm going to go to culinary school and work for a food magazine. And they were like, well, good luck with that. We have no idea, you know, how you go about doing that. So I mean, good luck. Yeah. My dad's a doctor. (laughs) My mom's a teacher. And I was like, I want to make cooking shows. Yeah. And they're like, okay, okay. And they, I was like, I'm going to work for Martha Stewart. And I, I just Googled like Martha Stewart internship and that's how it started. Um, so it was also a nice, like, Oh, here proving it to you guys now. I mean, you know, you got to work for probably the handful of names that someone who's outside of this industry. They know you're like, I know Martha Stewart. Like I, okay. All, but also I've worked with Snoop Dogg and that's really what excites people the most oh, is sure. that I've worked with the combination of the two of them. And he's got that great recipe that he inspired that's in the book. I mean, he taught me how to make bacon. I'll never make bacon any other way than Snoop style now. I mean, Snoop style bacon. It's 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 a, <laughs> it's a great recipe. It's a great trick. Um, one of the things I love about the book and 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 it's – I, something I, I have associated with Martha, um, or at least I think it's just like creating this vibe. Like it's, yes, it's about the food, but it's also about like the setting and the atmosphere. And especially when you have guests come over, they feel comfortable. And um, a big part of that is, is music, which, you know, you and I talked about the last time I, I saw mm-hmm. you um, at an event. And what I love is that you not only just allude to that in the book, but you actually give people a roadmap with the playlists and the artists and things like that. Um, what made you want to go that far? And you see that a little bit in the styling tips that you have, but it's like, yes, it's about serving a salad. Yes. I get the idea of the stories is about being with your friends, but like, let's go one step further. Like let's, let's create the atmosphere around it. Um, how did you pick the artists? What made you want to include that section in the book? Especially knowing I, that you were tight on pages. Yeah. And it's funny. It's the one I really have like tried not to read um, a lot of comments, 
on Amazon or anywhere else. Don't, but it is, just, yeah, it is one thing that if I, you know, scroll down, there is totally pushback about that edition. Really? Um, people found that really like some. Some people were like, I love that that so much. And other people were like, this salad person put music here. Like, That's so pretentious. I got a um, feeling that those people probably have not listened to an episode of this show. Yeah. But, to, but you know, to me, like, like I said, I can't feed everybody. Not everybody no. can come to one of my dinner parties. And um, not everyone has the... Uh, information they need Mm-mm. to throw a successful dinner party. And I, uh, you know, have found that it's, it's not so easy to find all that information in one place. And if yeah. I, I just like giving people the tools, it's the thing that I I'm good at and I enjoy doing. And I never assume that someone just under, you know, knows how to, how to do it. Um, and that was like, I wanted to give people as much information as possible to have a successful gathering um, or just to have a nice time eating by themselves, honestly. Um, I mean, there is still some sort of gatekeeping that does go on in like the food world and, and things like that. And it's easy to look at social media and be like, how do I recreate like what seems to come so easy for other people and just giving them the tools and saying like, you can have this wherever you are in the world, at sort of any budget level. Like it's a really nice, empowering thing. And cause they'll take what you do as an inspiration and make it their own. And then you hopefully one day be like, Oh, you read my book and then you created your own pathway. And now like, I want to read your book or listen to your playlist. Totally. And I think, you know, that has also been a, in a really amazing product of working for Martha. Um, mm. When I started working there, I really felt like everything had to be perfect. I needed you know, if 12 people were coming over, I needed 12 matching plates and napkins and the perfect thing. And if it was, you know, Mm -hmm. a fall gathering, it had to look like this versus a (laughs) summer. Like I really had that programmed and I would have like so much anxiety before people came over. I remember one time I, I, you will (laughs) laugh at this. It's ridiculous. Um, Ben, uh, my partner was like, Oh, Sufjan Stevens wants to come to dinner tonight. Like, is that, is that okay? And I was like, we don't have enough salmon. Like (laughs) he can't come over. Like, what are we going to feed these people? I already told my other friends they could come. And so he didn't come. And I'm like, what was I thinking? And, and he really didn't come. No, I like, because I thought it was, I, I, (laughs) Yeah, no, I like. No, got, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, I mean, it was like, crazy. I, I get it. I, 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 I totally get it. Because you're like, we don't have enough shrimp. We do not it have enough. It was just a moment of like sheer pan- panic, and I think it was actually. I believe um, Dan Deacon was also in town, and I think I was like, safe. Like I wanted him to. I don't know. It was a, like a very. Um, strange scenario. I mean, saving salmon um, from damn Deacon is if that's not a good uh, memoir title, I don't know what it is. I it's true, but I I have learned to be more um loose. You know, it's not uh about in fact, when I attend events where everything is so mm-hmm. perfect, I yeah. don't feel comfortable. Um 
I you like know. a little chaos. Yeah. And in, in the dinner part. Like controlled chaos. And like obviously you don't want people waiting for food or for drinks. But like if if the wine and the food is flowing, like have it be a little bit what could happen. The chaos has to happen before anybody arrives. The panic mm-hmm. attacks, the meltdowns, all of that, it happens still, but it's like totally behind the scenes. And I remind myself, like, it's not the glasses that matter. Like, nobody cares mm-hmm. that all those mm-hmm. glasses are mismatched. But I think it also, there has to be enough care and attention to detail where people don't feel like you've just like thrown it together. Because no. I'm like, yeah. that's not my. My style is not like, here you go. Like, I just had this. Like, no big deal. I really like making people feel special. Yes. Um, the and, effort. The effort yes. without them making to be, like, gratuitously thanking you for everything. But it's like, oh, she she roasted a leg of lamb. Like, that takes – that is time. That is prep. Yes. And I've all – I really have learned through experience that sometimes the best get-togethers are – you know, spontaneous ones. Um, you know, it's when like Ben invites people over and I, and he, without asking and I panic <laughs> because I don't think there's anything in the refrigerator, but there is, and I can make a meal out of it. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't think that the, the, I like the panic beforehand. I think it makes me, it reminds me I'm alive. You know, yeah. I don't think without that, if I was like, we call it fake chill around here. Um, you know, if, fine. It's yeah, all good. it's all good. But I saw, uh, I, I was helping Martha, um, prep for her Christmas party mm-hmm. and we had to make, I'm not exaggerating like 3,500 Christmas cookies. It took a week and there were two of us and our hands or three of us and our hands didn't work by the end of it. Like we were, it was crazy. And you left to use cutters at least. Or like molds. Well, yeah, but they were, you know, de- yeah, yeah, yeah. all sure, sure. like ridiculously yeah. decorated. Um, and it, I saw Martha like five minutes before the guests came and she was like, there's not enough cookies. And I was like, it still even happens to Martha. <laughs> well, Jess, I can't thank you enough for taking time and sharing some stories with us. People want to follow along with you, get the book, see where your events are post salads where can they do what can, how, where can they visit slide into my dms with a photo of salads that's that's a good way to do it and where do your dms live they live on at just damic on instagram amazing and if people want to get the book it's available everywhere but support your local store if possible if you can some people may not have a local cookbook store it's so. true so if you can't, that's fine. You can use one of the big the big boys or girls. But if you have locals, they usually ship nationally as well. It's true. And they're usually signed. Yes. I don't think – I don't know. I think I have to get mine signed next time I see you. That can definitely be arranged. I'll, I'll throw it in a tote yeah. <laughs> bag and then just like awkwardly pull it out at some event somewhere. Um, well, listen, thank you so much. Congratulations. It's a beautiful book. I'm excited to dig in and make some salads for the fam. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Rachel and Matt, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I know you just came off a massive summer tour, so I appreciate you hopping on the show with us. It was massive. That, that's correct. <laughs> uh, I want to say 66 days, like two full months on the road. Yeah, we had a couple of days. We had a, we had a week off in New York, but pretty much it was a straight shot from June to like like June 1st to August 10th, but with a week off at home. Well, uh, in the beginning. Yeah. So you're home, you're back in the Rockaways. Do you yeah. feel inspired, invigorated, rejuvenated, regenerated? I mean, mostly depressed. that is. <laughs> but the funny thing what? about that, the funny thing about that is that the tour, so the, I was all depressed during the tour too. So it's just a, really a continuation of, uh, it's just rough. It's just rough. We're just working really hard and like doing stuff. And it's, it, the only thing is that the intensity level is lower. Like when mm. we're, the, the tour is just, it's such an, we'll never do nine weeks like that again. The intensity level is too high for too long, but we kind of just were like, we had to cancel a tour because of COVID. Sure. Um, and like everybody. Yeah. Like everybody. everybody. Yeah. And we were just like really jonesing to get out on the road and, we kind of looked, be- we leapt before we looked, but, um, <laughs> you know, having said that, having said that, uh, there was a lot of great, uh, a lot of great moments, a lot of great vibes and uh, meeting a lot of cool people, not every night, but a lot of nights <laughs> and even the nights that were stinkers were sort of generally had redemptive qualities the the absolute worst shows that we played were really truly bad but there would always be some encounter with some person who either accidentally happened to be there or had just somehow randomly like heard us on the radio and driven two hours to be there like that actually happened multiple times or some person would just show up and be like you guys are great i'm gonna give you three hundred dollars just for no reason at all and so then that would sort of salvage the night because you know, this theory about like, you you don't need to reach absolutely everybody. Nobody's going to like Mm-mm. anybody. Agreed. But if you reach one in 10, or in our case, like one in 25, <laughs> like that's actually enough over time. If you, if you find these people who are just like over the freaking moon, 
about you, that's better than like 12 people who are like sort of into you, you know? I think as a music fan, um, the music that came out during the pandemic and some of the, like the bands that I really latched onto, I went out of my way so hard in the last six months. Hmm. Like if even if they're playing like across town in LA on the West side, opening band at seven, whatever. I was like, I'm getting in the car. I'm making it work because it means so much to me. And then it probably also means so much to the band to be like, yeah. we were out here for the first time in maybe a couple of years. I imagine you ran into other bands and fans who had that, like, thank you. We're appreciative to just be together in the room together, sharing this moment. Yeah. I mean, it was a combination of, that happened for sure a lot. That it happened more when we did a tour last October, where people would say, "This is the first show I've been yeah. to in two years." Right, because there was that small gap of like music's back, and then it's like, "Eh, maybe not, maybe not so much." I mean, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword because, like, obviously, the biggest loss in COVID is the million lives, if you'll recall. Yes, I yes, and uh, if I didn't mean to be flippant about. About the loss and the devastation of the yeah, no, but I just think that 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 like the cultural fallout is still is is ongoing, mm-hmm. and um, you know, one of the things that was made the tour so up and down was that we would have an experience where it just seemed like there was this like oh well you know then oh what about this great band i heard that in your town you have this great band called such and such do you guys know them like what are they playing they'd be like oh yeah um they never really came back after covid and mm. like there's still a lot of like you know cultural devastation on the non-muddied side of things like obviously like netflix and hulu and you know virgin records or whatever they've got so much money they're just like plowing along but the bands that don't have money, which is where all the creative stuff really comes from, mm-hmm. that stuff, it's like it's it's worse off. And so we would go from these highs of we actually had a great show in LA. We played at Permanent Records. Love it. Love it. It's awesome. And we played mm-hmm. with um we played with uh, this uh this band called Tremors and then this trio uh of completely newly constituted first Yeah, this was their first ever. and second show. We played a couple of shows with them. These were their first couple of shows and it's this guy um Craig Wedron from Shudder to Think and oh, yeah. uh this uh, this Jarek Bischoff um who's mostly a new music guy. Uh, although was he played it, with Amanda Palmer. He played with him. He was Anyways, the, they yeah. did this improvisational set and it was so like wow this was amazing. And then we would go to certain towns where like, man, it's like, this is what it's like on a weekend in this town. Like it just felt so like demoralizing, just Mm. like the culture just didn't feel it was, it was weird because some places it was like, you know, back at it, baby. And it was like, it just, no, there was like little recovery. And I think that, that like, that really like affected our, like, you know, the up and down, the swings were just so crazy yeah. night to night. Yeah, know? there were super high highs and super low lows. And part of it was the towns. And sometimes there were unexpected, amazing nights. We played one of the best, we always say this, one of the best shows on tour was in this place called Hot Springs, Arkansas, which nobody ever heard of. They yeah. had an amazing scene with like several extremely good local bands. They totally knew the entire record when we showed up. 
Everybody, mm-hmm. like we sold more merch that night than we sold on any, and it was like an amazing show and super yeah. fun for us. And the us. band was great. That's the other thing. Like the band, uh, this band Ghostbones that we played with was like legit great and legit knew how to put on a yeah. show. In general, it the shows, whatever, they're always going to be better when you play with a band that is legit great and legit knows how to put on a show. It's just, it doesn't. You just never know what you're going to get. There was also like, there was this booker in, um, in Phoenix who just threw his fucking life on the line for these shows of ours. Like he really just like, I, I think people, I, I think it's the both. I think it's the both sides of it is where it's just like some either scenes just got that were tight or small and people maybe dispersed or just never got the revenue back to start doing shows again or, yeah. or people didn't come through or the flip side, which is like nothing matters more than these shows to yeah. get these bands out of town. And I, I, I the middle doesn't really seem to exist anymore. It's just that it's, it's the opposites and you know, it's, it's easy to live in New York and LA and it's just like, you can say like, I can't go to another show. I can't go to another, like I have too many shows and then you forget like the wealth doesn't always spread out to it. Um, let's hear a song. I, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to bury the lead cause I want to talk about it later, but this came from a very special session, which we'll talk about after the break. But the first song that we have up is cold light. Can you talk to me a little bit about this, about this track? Yeah, it's an interesting story actually on this one. Um, uh, basically I, I, I hooked up the wrong drum machine to my MPC and it's actually the same beat as another song that we have, but it sounds completely different because I hooked it up to the wrong drum machine. And I was like, oh, haha, funny. And Major started making some funny noises. And I was like, okay, cool. We're never using that for anything ever, but it's funny. And then <laughs> Major just kept pushing me. She's like, but what about that one thing? You know, that thing that we did and da 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 da. And I was like, we're not really going to use that. And then eventually it like, it just turned into this song over a period of iterations. And um, on the EP, it's pretty much us playing it live. But the vocals are like a million takes. But uh, what you're hearing here is we, we just did this. We wanted to, what? <laughs> like everything, everything worked out real well. We had to do a million takes on the vocals. A million takes on the vocals, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's well. Look, you got a finished product. That's the end. like you turned yeah. an earworm into a song. Like that's that worked out. Yeah, this is just us playing it live at um, Steve Albini's studio in Chicago, which we we wanted to just sort of tape what we were doing, like the live show as it is currently constituted. So this is just us playing live at, at Steve's place. Amazing. Well, here we go. Cold light. Live from Steve Albini's place in Chicago here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back. That was just Cold Light from Sky Creature. And, you know, I loved how on your tour poster, you mentioned that you're going to be spending time with Steve Albini. Because I feel like there are people who would not announce it and then just be like, oh, yeah, like, tour was cool. We were at Steve's place. But I like how you put it out there because it's such an awesome experience. How did you connect with him? How did that come to be? What did you learn from working with one of the masters? I mean, I've known Steve for like literally 25 years. (laughs) Like Steve's an old friend of mine. Have you done Q&A sessions with him at shows? Uh, Have I done Q&A sessions with him at shows? I didn't know that was a thing. No. Um, Every time I saw him play there was always like a Q&A session oh, oh at his show uh, at yeah, a, yeah 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 uh, I haven't seen shellac in a really I've seen shellac at North 6th which dates me but I saw them I haven't seen Steve play in in 15 years oh yeah basically what he does is like I don't even go to his shows anymore he just <laughs> he comes to New York and he just wants to gamble he just only wants to gamble so he he goes well, like rounder style like find the underground games yeah, I mean, you know, he won the World Series of Poker. I did not. He just won about a, a two hundred grand this year, and uh, he just wants to gamble. So there's this, there are these guys in this band called Risk Reward, and they're sort of friends of mine. And my old bandmate uh, in the forums, uh, Alex, is also a gambler. They go to this place. They have a podcast called Live from the Barrage. It's a bar. It's a garage in Queens that they converted into a bar. They go there and they gamble with Steve to like six o'clock in the morning. They pick him up directly from his show. They go directly to this garage and just gamble all night. And that's the only way I see Steve is if he's like, if he's like on his way to gambling, like I might say what's up to him. So I don't go to his show. I don't go to their shows any, I don't go to their shows, but. Oh my God. Take some money from the merch table. Exactly. (laughs) And converts it into like he's also an incredibly good gambler. That's the thing. He just you know he converts it into uh, into more money. He converts the money into more money. So you know him. You know his his gambling side. Um, and but how did you wind up uh, turning that into a recording session? Well, I mean that's how I know Steve from making records. I don't know him from gambling. I, I know him because uh, I, I mean I made a I made a five or six or seven records with Steve. Uh, the first, the, all, all the forms records, my sure. the, the forms, uh, and the thing is, I just like, I really like Steve a lot, and I, he's really good, obviously as well, and um, his energy, like, the funny thing about recording is, like, when you work with someone, whether you want to or not, like, their energy in the room is going to end up on the recording. So whatever mm. their energy is, you're going to get that. What you know, and like. The thing about Steve's energy is like he's he's weird because like he definitely doesn't give a shit for sure about what you're doing. Like he doesn't give a shit. But in a weird way, that's like it's kind of cool and challenging because it's not – you know he's not blowing smoke up your ass. You know that he's being like 100% real with you, Mm. which is why people don't like him because he's so – he's so like direct and – I just always feel I always feel Steve I always feel like I want to like play better so Steve thinks I'm cool. Like I always want to I want to like I better play fucking good. I'm playing in front of Steve right now. I better play fucking good. Cuz he's uh, going to tell me if I don't. No, he just he just <laughs> he called something I I did a bad take 
And Steve was like, I was like, hey, Steve, how was that one? He goes, ah, uh, excruciating. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but like this, and then you laugh and it feels good. Like it just, there's lots of riffs happening. There's lots of jokes happening, but also there's this like no bullshit attitude. And it kind of gives you license to dig more deeply into yourself. For some people who I can imagine there are people, I know there are people like when I'm producing a record that they, they need this like kind of encouragement, but Steve gives you like decouragement. And that kind of, if you like that kind of thing, if you like to be challenged, like he's the guy, sure. he also stays out of your hair. And also shit is just going to sound perfect. Like if it don't sound right, it's your problem. Like if you, if Steve mm. broke it and it doesn't sound good, you're the asshole for sure. Like, I mean, it, it's good to know when you have, it's like when you do the, the science experiments and you're like, what is the control here? And you're like, oh, it's Steve Albini. Yeah. It's just sort of nice to know that like, well, that's the constant. Yep. You're not, you, if, if it sounds like <laughs> it's all your problem, it's all on you in a good sense and a bad sense. Um, the other thing is just, I just wanted, I had a hard time making the last one in the sense of like, it's just too much work, too many hands, like running the tape machine, trying to run microphones. Mm. It's just too much. What we did for like, actually for cold light, the version of cold light, <laughs> we were just, that was at the last, no, it was one of the last things we did. And like, we were just like, fuck it. We just set up the mics and we just let the two inch machine run. And we just did like three or four takes, mm. went upstairs and rewind the tape all the way back to the beginning and listen through because we couldn't stop and check and da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just did like, I think we did like five or six, maybe eight takes or something like that. And we just edited two of them together. And that that's it. That that's I think that's it. I think that's all you're hearing is just us, you know, playing through and but you know, in a real recording session, like you would review the take, you would rewind, you'd make adjustments. And then after having done that, we were just like, fuck it. Let's just go to Steve's because like, we won't have to deal with all this mess. Right. You won't have to deal with like the perceived notion of how it has to be done. You can just play. Yeah. Do it. Play. And, and capture. Yeah. It's interesting. It's totally different, partly because of the way it was put together, but it's, it's pretty different. It's pretty different. So just to clarify, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just to clarify, the the EPs that we just dropped, that was entirely on Matt to engineer. We did that in my studio. In right, a, right, right. In addition to playing all the stuff that he played and writing the songs, he also did all the engineering. And Steve is the only person in the world that Matt trusts to actually have his back when he's just doing drums or he's just doing art. Mm. So for the LP that's coming up probably right. in next fall, we just made the decision to go do this with Steve because Matt loves him, trusts him. Also, Studio B sounds fucking I love Studio fantastic B. for us, especially. Yeah. I just thought Studio B would be cool. The sound of Studio B is like really like special to me, and I just thought that this record would sound cool in Studio B. Like, I just we, we happen to be passing through Chicago on tour with all of our gear that we would need anyway, so we thought... Why don't we just talk to Steve's for like four days, yeah. bang out some drums? Like we're gonna have to go in total like three or four times. But yeah, um, I love it. Let's um, let's hear another song. Uh, Pretend to cry was another track that you recorded, Steve's. What's the story behind this song? Uh, Pretend to cry was a song that I wrote in like 2019, mm -hmm. and 
It was released as a single by me. Matt did all the the production and 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 the mixing on that song. And for a while, there was a planned release of a solo EP of mine that would be five tracks of my stuff. And basically, at the exact same time, we were going to do a Sky release of five songs. And I'm sure you know this as a musician, like, it's really bad to divide your projects, both yes. mentally and from a social media promotional marketing standpoint. It's just a really Co- You bad need that cohesion because people are just like, I don't understand. And the second they don't understand, they go somewhere else. And oh, God, along Jesus the way, Christ. Matt and I had started to have an art, <laughs> like an artistic mind meld anyway. Like Matt was, yeah. in some cases, rewriting some of the stuff that I had Ooh. done or we were doing remixes. So this pretend version is a very significant, very significant yeah. re- rewrite and re-record of the initial version. And my planned solo EP just became a Sky EP because there was so much Matt written all over it. I love it. That we were like, isn't this act like if Sky is me plus you and this EP of mine, quote unquote, is me plus you, why are we not calling it Sky? So it's got a different look and a different vibe entirely. Otherwise it wouldn't have been released right at all. Like otherwise we yeah. just buried it and yeah, like it would have been it wasn't like- worth burying and like we were just we were playing them live anyways. Like we were playing a lot of this, we were playing oh, all yeah. this stuff live anyway. So we were like, if we're going to be playing this in the tour anyway, and like, why are we not releasing this together? And that's why we have this weird ass double EP. You know what I mean? Cause like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't find it weird. I was just like, cause well, once you dig into the story and read it and talk to you guys, like this makes total sense. Cause if not, then you're like, we'll bury the songs. We'll put this out in a couple years. And then it's like, does 2019 stuff even make sense anymore? We have all these new songs. I'm tired yeah. of these songs. Like, get it out. Get it out and let people hear it. You just, um, yeah, you just got to – and also, like, you know, today it's like you got to keep releasing. And, like, for us uh, – yeah. for we, we – I mean, I like records a lot. And, like, you know, I like to sit down and listen to a full record. But we just have to keep releasing stuff. And, like, it's – it's those these EPs will be different than what we're going to, like, release in the future. But I'm – you know, it is what it is, and like we're, it's out there. You know what I mean? It's a thing that people could enjoy, um, and and that's that's the bottom line. Like it's a, it's an object that's, that people can enjoy, especially if they hear it live and they want to go home and listen to it. It's yeah. just not, you're like, hey, where's this song? It's like, oh well, here's the story of why we didn't release it. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the thing. You don't want to. That's the thing. It's like it's like even that is just like no. It's like I saw it live. I want to listen to it in my bedroom. There we go. Um, all right, here we go. Pretend to cry. Another track live from Steve's in Chicago here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are chatting with Sky Creature, who just played Pretend to Cry. And I know we were talking earlier in the show about the very long tour you did this summer. And it's an interesting dynamic to be in a car with one other person because it always feels like a binary choice of like what we're going to listen to or what we're going to eat. It's not, it's never like a, well, I was outvoted by a yeah. three, to, three to one. It's like, why did you, you just look with utter despair <laughs> off to the side? Because it's fucking. <laughs> this, he's, he's hitting me where it hurts, man. He's hitting me where it hurts. I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, you posted this video, and I, you can't see it now because uh, you're respectively wearing Metallica and Pantera shirts. But of listening to Metallica on repeat in I'm the car. Know. We just honestly, uh, we just listened to Metallica and Pantera almost it's, exclusively. It's not, it's not a democracy. It's not a democracy in the car. We Majel's not a big. Majel's not a, really a huge <laughs> listener. Like she's not like a bigger. Like she's not like a. She's not a fanboy. Like I'm so a fanboy. Ask how you feel about uh, what you would want to listen to in the car given the chance? Would you? Were you happy with? Let me, some people let me. are just like. Some people are just like. I don't care. Just put on whatever. Yeah. Are you ready? Are you ready for me to answer this question? Go ahead. Major should answer this. Okay. This is a story for you. Okay. I got um I got surgery in April. Okay. And I was out for two hours. I came out and my uvula had been crushed and was declared you gotta you gotta you can't look off camera for Okay. <laughs> this this isn't even a video. Is no, it? You're like, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I had a crushed uvula. I was in extreme pain and I was like extremely woozy. Matt picked me up, got into the car and put on, was it hum? That was Pantera. So like, I'm barely, like I'm barely compass mentis and we're already listening to Pantera post-surgery in the car ride home. Does that give you, does that give you a sense of what the car is like? Yeah, well, you could have put you could have put uh, Wisher and Astrodot on, and that may have been. There was some. Well, that was a big one too. Well, we actually we we hung out with Matt Talbot from Hum a bunch on this tour. I mean, that album burned into my soul. But yes, that's what it gives. Uh, that that does paint a picture of it. All right. So if the music wasn't a democracy, about how about where you guys ate on the road? The food, the food. Uh, total, total. We were okay. Total we were okay reason. with the food. We did a lot of like. Look, it's a lot of Subway. It's the only decent food that you can consistently get all over the country. Although the I'm a, problem is they don't have the veggie patty in like red states. Yeah, they don't have the veggie patty. So, did you get a? T- I mean, I uh, I've had topping sandwiches. That's you know where it's like it's literally just like salad on bread. Just give me the whole topping okay. spread, throw some mayo and some salt and pepper on it. And I, guess I got a hack for you, man. Are you, are you vegetarian? No, but I mean, when I used to go on, when I'd be on the road for shoots or for work or things like that, and I'm at a subway, at some point you're like, I can't eat the tuna salad or the turkey. I got you. Again. This is not that good. This is a little known hack. It's not that good, but it is better than just, <laughs> it's better than just the toppings. They have the eggs. You can get an egg sandwich. It's not on the menu. Uh, Ask them. They have the breakfast thing, and they'll just give you an eggs and then a bunch of toppings. Which their eggs? There's something weird with those eggs. I don't even know what's egg. going on. They're not real. I mean, they're they're like it's um, you know, like a Dunkin' Donut egg. It's like or McDonald's egg, where it's like 
Yeah. I don't know. What I don't know what the science is. Powdered, powdered reconstituted egg. I don't know. It tastes not that great, but it is better than just a topping sandwich. I, I will yeah. say it's a little bit better than that. A topping sandwich is a real... It's there's a, a moment. There's it's a moment when you're like, this is definitely like 65% shredded lettuce between some yep. bread. I am no, much more okay than Matt is with like absolute synthetic shit. Like mm. I will eat these protein bars that are like actually made of like not anything real or natural. Sure, and I'm, sure, sure. I'm happy to eat like heavily salted nuts or like whatever, like desiccated meat. Like I'll, I'll eat shit. I like need that. more normal food. Like I need more normal food. I and mean, we, we ate a lot of, we, we, when we didn't have to do subway, we did Thai. We had a couple of cool Thai. We did Thai. We both like Thai. Also, like, yeah. Majel kind of eats vegetarian when I'm around. When I'm not around, like, I don't know what she does. But uh, Desecration of animals. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. All meatball heroes. Puts on the Metallica, desecrates a chicken. Yeah. Pretty clear. But I, I, about the Metallica stuff, I, I do want to say one thing. <laughs> so we both really like Injustice for All. I do. And, I do. and also, you, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you know what was a big discovery for Majel? She didn't realize how awesome Allison Chains' vocals are. Oh, yeah. I was playing a bunch of, like, you know, Heaven Beside You and, like, that sort of, like, latter era of the Lane Staley. Allison sure. Chains. And that stuff is really sophisticated and cool. And Major was like, I just didn't think that's what – she's like, I thought this was, like, some stupid bonehead metal band. She's like, this is, like, really yeah. cool. And we listened to it again yesterday, the Unplugged, yeah. just for the hell of it. And the unplugged, the the wood unplugged is uh, a legendary ripper of all time. We listened to Brother, which I don't even really know that song that much. That was the song we because we were talking about how everyone in the '90s had amazing hair. <laughs> <laughs> that was what, that's we weren't listening to it for music. It reasons. all comes down to hair. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, have, hair. Or you're not. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't. So I just I, I look at the '90s and I go, I wouldn't have done well in this era. I, I come from a position of total non-knowledge of, of, of metal. I'm, I'm like the stereotypical 80-year-old woman who, like, hears Metallica on the radio and is like, what? Turn that fucking shit off. Like, that was me. And I only heard chugging. I didn't hear – I didn't hear songwriting. I didn't hear melody mm. crafting. I didn't hear – variation in style i just heard loud and so after nine weeks of hearing loud like it started to finally you know parse out into elements of yeah. of style and choice and songwriting and, and and obviously like not all matt's opinions are my opinions but now i've opinions. <laughs> we actually we actually by the end of the tour we were so familiar with the title track the injustice for all title track that we would we were listening to various orchestral versions, not one, various orchestral versions, and doing like an exegesis on like, uh-huh. oh, well, in this version, it seems like they're predominating the fifth uh, over the root chord. They and- totally <laughs> skipped that solo. <laughs> they skipped. They skipped. Think he is? Who does the orchestra think they are? But none of them played Kirk Hammett solos. We did not find a version that had Kirk Hammett solos in it. No, I, I think a solo is. It's a tough translation to orchestral. It is, but they're so good. Without it being a one-to-one. Without someone being like, all right, you take the solo and like the the lead. Well, in one of them, they even had an electric guitarist standing out in front. But, no, I know. But then, but then that guy is just 
then then the electric guitarist is just doing mimicry and not yeah. but yeah. that's the arrangement. Makes that's her, okay. <laughs> one of her first things about it was like she's like this this guy's like fucking Paganini like like wait he's like <laughs> ripping on the he's like wait, he's ripping on the guitar it sounds like some crazy classical music like Condensed crazy way. ripping yeah and like I just would like to. If they're also so planned out, those solos on that record, I don't know, whatever. We're yeah. Deep dive, but. Uh, All right. Well, listen, I want to make sure we get to this one last song, which isn't exclusive. Um, but before right. we get to it, uh, where can people find the the EPs where can people follow along are you guys going back on tour where can people get all the information yeah uh well I mean of course there's Spotify and it's just Sky Creature and um there's Instagram which is Sky Creature NYC and you could buy uh the vinyl from Open Ocean which is openocean.nyc uh that's the label that we're on and you could buy it from us directly on Bandcamp um the vinyl is is actually all handmade jackets, all painted by us, um, and they're they're really nice. Like oh, okay, yeah. they're really nice. Um, but yeah, uh, shows? yeah, shows. We're gonna be on tour. Uh, I love it. Yeah, and that's Chavo, a good purple on green. They're all different colors. They're all painted different and stuff. Um, that's so cool. Uh, we're gonna be on the road. Uh, I mean, this is a longer story. We're going to be on the road in the end of October and the beginning of November, uh, mostly Midwest, Chicago, Des Moines. The Midwest has been good to us, man. I don't know why, but but we have good shows there. I so. think we are doing some shows in like the Northeast too, but yeah. we, it's not totally sussed out. Anyways, hit us up. Awesome. And so, all right, so this last track, Furthest Door, also from the Steve and Chicago sessions. Yeah. What's the story behind it? Well, uh, well, this is a cool story. Uh so Majel had this uh, Majel had this solo show that she used to do, and when I she used to do this, she used to do a version of this song that was hers, and and there was just one part in it. I was like, Jesus Christ, that is awesome! And mm. Majel was like, Eh, whatever. I was like, No way! I was like, This is great. And and a friend of mine who was with me, actually the dude who's involved with uh, the dude who runs the label, was like, Man, that is a great part. So I just snatched it, and I was like, We're gonna do this because it's so good. And uh, we basically rewrote what was around it because the other parts were okay, but this one chorus was so cool. So what you're hearing is us playing it live. We recorded it for real at Steve's. It's not out yet. It's going to be on our next record, which is likely going to be called No Human Eyes. And uh, it's one of my favorite ones. It might even be my favorite one, but uh, this is us playing it live. So it's kind of just like, letting it rip a little bit more than it will be. It'll be like a little bit more sussed out on the record, but this is us just rocking out live at Steve's place. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing all the stories and uh, for the music with us and these tracks. Uh, next time you're in LA, please let me know. I'd love to come out and say hi and see you guys. Oh, we will. Thank um, you for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, thank you to Jess. Check out Salad Freak out everywhere. Here we go, furthest door, live from Steve's, on Snacky Tunes, on Heritage Radio Network. Tune in next week, all new episode. Deeply appreciate it. Thanks again.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.